A good December 14th to you on this Tuesday morning. Jesperson in with Hoyles and Brooks. You have downloaded or are live streaming Real Talk. This episode is presented by our friends at Bitcoin Well, Canada's first publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company. Hey, corporations. Yeah, you. Those of you that are making decisions for one or two or 10 or 100 staff members. Did you know you can pay your employees in Bitcoin? with the employer Bitcoin savings plan. But why, you wonder? Well, you can learn the benefits of buying and holding Bitcoin for your business by checking out Bitcoin Well online at bitcoinwell.com or, of course, nice and easy to find right at the top under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We've got a great show in store. We're going to we're going to do a lot of learning today, including on inflation. There's a lot of people talking about inflation. I don't know if your world's the same as mine, but everyone's going, well, you know, inflation. Everyone's going, yeah, but the average person, if you're like me anyway, if I'm an average person, we don't really actually kind of know what's going on. We know what inflation is. We know what it means. We think we understand what prompts it. Uh, to 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 ramp up or maybe to slow down. We kind of understand the mandate of the Bank of Canada or the federal government or what they can do yesterday. Uh, the governor of the Bank of Canada and uh, Christia Freeland, a deputy PM minister of finance uh, federally, of course, making an announcement on their renewed mandate for the next five years. We're going to talk to a couple of economists about that uh, to get into the layperson's language, to get into the street talk, so to speak, so we can understand what's going on. Plus, a little bit later on in the show, we're going to review the results of our most recent question of the week on photo radar. And we'll talk to can I call him celebrated urban planner, maybe prominent urban planner, one of the most well-known in the world, Brent Totterin, former chief planner for the city of Vancouver. He does a ton of work on urban design around the world. He's been taking a look at some countries that have been doing pretty significant things with results when it comes to traffic safety, pedestrian safety, traffic calming, urban design, etc. So we're going to, I don't, I don't know his position on photo radar, really. I mean, I suspect I might know where he would land on it, but that coming up in about 40 minutes. If you have a comment that you did not include in our question of the week, we'll be keeping an eye on our hash tag we'll be keeping an eye on the live chat on youtube as well but we lead off today with an announcement from the provincial government here in our home province of alberta i want to show you this clip from the education minister adriana lagrange and then we'll get to our two experts uh yesterday making an announcement that the government will delay the introduction of a highly controversial and new draft curriculum for elementary school in four subjects, uh, including social studies. The government also pushing back the introduction of a new curriculum for junior and senior high. There's been a ton of pushback on this over the past number of months. If you're a regular audience member, when it comes to Real Talk, I don't have to tell you that. And so the first people that we thought of when we heard about this announcement, we reached out to them. They've both agreed to join us. That in just a second. But first, here's Albert as education minister this is the honorable adriana lagrange yesterday once we feel that we've got a solid uh, scope and sequence blueprint uh, to move forward on we will certainly then be looking to have a draft of the social studies k-6 uh, 
uh, for more engagement. So I, I don't want to presuppose when that could be, but it won't be in September of 2022. Okay, it won't be in September of 2022. Dr. Yvonne Poitras-Pratt is the Director of Indigenous Education at the University of Calgary, an Associate Professor at the Workland School of Education as well, Dr. Carla Peck, on the Steering Committee for the Alberta Curriculum Analysis, a Professor of Social Studies Education in the Faculty of Ed at the University of Alberta. Doctors, we're thrilled to have both of you here. Generally speaking, uh, Dr. Peck, you were the first one we talked to on this file many months ago. Does yesterday feel like a victory? I see a lot of critics saying, hey, this is just optics. What are you reading into it? We've got you on mute, Professor, so I think we'll get you in just a second. Want to try it again? Sorry, after 20 months of pandemic, you'd <laughs> hey. think I'd figure that out. Oh, you get um, <laughs> So uh, it, it feels like a tiny, minuscule win. It's, it's not quite a blink. It's maybe a one-eyed blink, which otherwise is known as a wink. Um, so maybe they're winking to their supporters, I don't know, and saying, look, you know, uh, we'll, we'll sort of get people to think we're going to make changes. But I took a close look at the blueprint last night, uh, the social studies blueprint, and frankly, the changes are not significant. So that's disappointing, but there's an opportunity here. They could do it in a better way. Okay. Uh, Dr. Poitras Pratt, what was your first thought? Did it, did it feel like a win? Well, you know, I think I have to first off um, tip my hats to the many educators who have been really integral to pushing back on this curriculum. And, and you know, I think, that, you know, just the fact that there's been such an overwhelming response by our educational community to what was put forward as curriculum and as Dr. Peck points out, um, you know, this has been going on for approximately a year now. I know the first time I looked at the draft K-6 curriculum, it was due December 22nd of last year. And so what I looked at in a very intense uh, amount of time and three days before Christmas was a train wreck. And what was then introduced in April of the, that uh, following uh, year was a very insignificant, if not worse, draft of the social studies curriculum. And so, you know, I, I can't say that I hold a lot of trust in this government to put forward a framework that substantially revises the curriculum to be meaningful. Um, you know, the lack of, of real engagement by trained professional educators, we are a profession. Educators are trained professionals and we would never think to invite those who are not trained in our profession to create and contribute to a curriculum when they are not trained in the art of education. And so I think, you know, we run a high, high risk again of being given um, a sort of this, this pat response to what is actually a very substantial concern by educators, parents, and the, and the learning communities, not only here in Alberta, but across Canada and arguably the world. Okay, so I don't want to take anything for granted. I don't want to assume that everybody that's going to hear this interview is going to be completely up to speed on everything. We know that people's lives are busy. Let's let's handle a couple of the basic details. So the education minister yesterday saying that all K to six students starting in September of 2022. So next fall, K to six must begin learning from the new English language arts, math 
physical education and wellness curriculum. However, the new K to six curriculum for social studies, French immersion, Francophone language arts, science and fine arts will be delayed. So some of it will proceed. Some of it will be delayed. Carla, for people that have I mean, Yvonne just just hinted at some of it with regards to some of the concerns around the development of it and who's authoring it and who is or is not being consulted. I know I'm asking you a massive question right now, but what essentially is at the root of what the general public and most especially teachers, school boards and districts found to be unpalatable or unacceptable. Was it that consultation? Was it content? What has it been? Well, it was really all of it, Ryan. The um, entire process that was used by um, Minister LaGrange and the UCP is a complete departure from processes that have been used for decades in Alberta. Um, Previous approaches to curriculum development have included multiple, multiple authors, people contributing to the curriculum. The primary group of authors was always teachers uh, and then other experts, curriculum experts, subject matter experts would come in to, you know, also contribute. Uh, None of that happened under the UCP. They essentially hired one person, perhaps two people to uh, basically author, you know, each particular subject area. And most of the people that they hired to do that had no background in curriculum design and no background in K to 12 education. So that's a, I mean, why would, why would you ever trust the education of students uh, for many years to come? Curriculum don't change quickly. We know that it takes many, many years for curriculum to be renewed. Uh, Why would you ever trust that to people who have no background in curriculum development, who have no background in K-12 education? It just doesn't make any sense. I think a lot of Albertans have become familiar with the name Chris Champion. He's he's certainly one of the senior authors of the social studies draft curriculum. Uh, He's also a notable residential school denier or an apologist or whatever you want to call it. His his comments have been extremely inflammatory by way of an online blog that he maintains. Uh, The government's taken the position that that the general public had concerns about the age and developmental appropriateness of the content in social studies. But Dr. Poitras Pratt, I I don't want to suppose or assume anything, but I'd bet that your concern goes a little bit further or is maybe a little bit more pointed than that. As the government says, we've got to slow the pace here. What would you like to see before a new draft curriculum for social studies is put in front of the public? Well, it's a great question. You know, Ryan, I think the, um, or this, um, the, the notion of, of just tweaking a curriculum that is fundamentally flawed doesn't work. And so, um, you know, with the, with the um, involvement I have with my own ancestral community, so I'm a card-holding member of the Métis Nation of Alberta, and with the new teaching quality standard that calls on educators to have, uh, you know, foundational knowledge of First Nations, Métis and Inuit included in their teaching practices, I've been working alongside my uh, ancestral community across the province for the past three years. And we've just come up with foundational knowledge around the Métis and we've done that largely, you know, off the side of our desk. And we've worked alongside community members, but we've been led by trained and professional educators leading the process. And so this type of intensive work, I mean, has led to, um, we've got five foundational knowledge areas within uh, the Métis perspective. And at three years of intense work on those foundational knowledge areas, we barely started the process. And so, you know, I think, 
that the government thinks that, you know, we might be able to do this with a few tweaks here and there, or maybe we can hire a new, um, you know, a curriculum expert, and I, I will use air quotes on that, um, because we're, we need to do this in a very meaningful way. When you consider uh, the Indigenous perspective, the past year, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and our educators, our learners, are at high, high risk. And so, you know, throwing a curriculum at us that is deeply flawed and not inclusive of all learners, and indeed is, is runs a high risk of recolonizing, mm -hmm. you know, our, our, our curriculum, um, it's just inherently wrong. It's, it's unethical. And so, you know, amongst the pandemic, all, all the concerns that educators have trying to keep their learners safe and healthy and learning, we find the remains of thousands of Indigenous children's bodies. And the government continues. They continue to throw uh, curriculum at us that is, is deeply flawed and, and erases our truths and, and really is flawed because it has such a strong bias within its uh, development, its creation. And so, you know, I, I just feel like the, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but the Ministry of Education, I don't find is supportive of educators across this province. We are working really hard to try to keep our educational levels at a meaningful level for our learners amongst a pandemic. And, you know, I just feel like a Ministry of Education ought to be supporting our efforts rather than undermining it. Well, I, I mean, I know that neither of you are going to speak on behalf of the Alberta Teachers Association or anything like that. This is more of an anecdotal observation from my end. But amid all of this, uh, we're also seeing it, uh, what I think I could describe as a, a quite a hostile relationship uh, between teachers collectively in the province and that education ministry. I mean, last week, a flare up over a, a, a really horrific situation, a teacher, uh, whatever the word you use, stripped of accreditation anyway, back in I think it was 2006. Um, and the, the education minister implying that teachers didn't care about the safety of students and making it a union issue. And then the pushback, of course, from teachers was loud and angry. And I'm sitting here going, this is the environment where we're expecting collaboration. I mean, people are looking. I'm a parent. I mean, yeah, I'm a talk show host. I put my finger on the pulse of the province. At the same time, I'm the parent of a six-year-old who's going to be learning this curriculum. I care about it from that angle, too. I mean, the environment right now, Carla, is a hot one, to say the least. Hotter than it's been in a long time under a number of different governments. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, it's important not to forget that at the very beginning of this curriculum development process under the UCP, Minister LaGrange ripped up the agreement with the ATA, who was a partner in the curriculum development process under the previous government. And that signaled from day one uh, the approach that was going to be taken and the lack of respect for the professionalism, the integrity and the expertise of the over 40,000 teachers in the province. We've got uh, Gilles, who's watching us live on YouTube. He says, delay does not mean different. He says, we haven't seen the new modules. He says, you know, it's, it, it's like coal mining. Delaying new mines doesn't mean there won't be new mines and people need to stay vigilant. So what does that look like, Yvonne? What's your word to people that are engaged citizens that are willing to hold up placards or call their MLA or do what they've got to do? 
Yeah, you know, I think your um, commenter is exactly right. Um, You know, we have to consider the fact that as educators, we're trying to innovate our educational practices to be much more meaning, meaningful and relevant for our learners. And what we are finding, I know at the Workland School of Education is that oftentimes we're looking towards indigenizing principles. So we're looking at elements of holism, interconnectedness, and we're not looking for discrete subject areas so much as has been the practice in the past. And so this sort of piecemeal approach that the government is putting forward as their, um, you know, their solution, I think, to the the uproar against the draft K-6 is something that I don't place a lot of trust in. I do feel like, um, you know, that's exactly right. Based on my experience from last year, from seeing the December draft curriculum into the April curriculum, you know, there was there was not a meaningful substantive change of anything. I actually saw it to be a worse um, revision, <laughs> you know, of the curriculum. So, you know, we have to keep a sharp eye on what is going on. And I just, I'm going to reiterate again, how dangerous this is during a global pandemic Children's lives and learning are fundamental to education, and that's what we need to be focused on. I think, you know, when we put forward a very biased form of curriculum that has been um, forwarded by this government, you know, inherently it's unethical. We, We just can't be putting children's lives at risk, nor our educators' well-being. And, you know, I'm going to always stand up for educators because the art of education is a very, very complex and um, highly skilled one. And, you know, I just feel like this is a time for a Ministry of Education to be supporting educators across the province as well as learners. And uh, this draft K-6 curriculum is ill-timed and uh, poorly thought out. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move on to talk inflation. Uh, I hope it's not one punch in the gut straight to another punch in the gut for folks. Both, hey, this is real talk. It's what we promised to deliver, uh, Carla. Before we thank you both for your time, I want to ask you about a, a premise. This will bring the conversation full circle for now. I hope something you retweeted uh, from the advocacy group support our students yesterday. They they essentially assert that the announcement made on Monday by the education minister was an exercise. They say in delivering optics over substance they say students deserve better i wanted to ask you the same question in closing i just asked yvonne what's the what are the marching orders for parents for educators for the general public i meet a lot of people who think because of all of the backlash uh towards this curriculum that it must be dead in the water and i remind them every time they say something similar to that to me this is not over this is not over The government has a clear uh, motivation, desire to push as much of the curriculum changes through as they possibly can. This is a momentary pause, but I've done a side-by-side comparison of the blueprint to the March draft, and the changes are really cosmetic, not uh, substantial. Okay, I recommend that uh, folks follow the both of you on Twitter. We have your handles uh, included in our tweet that goes out from our account at Real Talk RJ every single morning. You've been hearing from Dr. Carla Peck, Dr. Yvonne Poitras Pratt, uh, education curriculum experts out of uh, University of Alberta, University of Calgary. Thanks for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. We want to know, parents, where are you landing? Teachers, administrators. I mean, heck, it doesn't matter. 
your context uh, helps us focus your comment, but you don't have to be a parent or you don't have to be an educator to care about this kind of stuff. We always want to hear from you to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Before we get into inflation, we want to make sure we know what we're talking about with inflation. That's coming up in just a second. Let me remind you how proud we are to partner with the team at Poppy Barley. You can check out their lineup right now, a brand new men's lineup of shoes and boots, stunning, reinvented, doesn't even quite cover it. And then the women's new arrivals you can shop them now online or in store they're at market mall in calgary southgate center in edmonton you can check out their monogram shop gifts under 150 dollars, and then their limited edition home collection which is absolutely stunning for a limited time the promo code real talk is going to get you 25 dollars off of a minimum 100 dollar order but here's the thing There's just 30 of these discount codes available, so they're going to last maybe today. The promo code REALTALK at poppybarley.com gets you $25 off a minimum $100 order, just 30 of those specials available. I want to remind you why we care so much about Poppy Barley. It's, It's a new interpretation of luxury. I love what it is. Fair prices on products you want to wear on repeat. They support sustainability. You can read all about it on their website, including where they're footwear is made family-owned factories paying fair wages in mexico and europe this female sister-owned business as a matter of fact proudly out of alberta is worth your investment i wear my poppy barley's every day again you can find them at poppybarley.com use that promo code real talk our december wine of the month is kendall jackson you know this brand it's one of the biggest wine brands in the world well why are they celebrating at kendall jackson these days because they were named this year by the drinks business as the green company of the year So if sustainability matters to you, consider Kendall Jackson on your table this holiday season. The award recognizes global sustainability leadership in the beverage industry. But what is that? Just window dressing? Uh Uh-uh. Kendall Jackson wines are produced with a third less water than industry standard. They're vinted and bottled using the largest solar generator in the wine industry, period. How cool is that? Plus, land preservation is a corporate Hiller. That means over half of their total acreage is left to grow wild in support of biodiversity. Who knew? I love learning about this kind of stuff. The holiday shop is open right now at Kendall Jackson. And if you're tuned in from Calgary, don't forget that at Co-op Wine, Spirits and Beer, Kendall Jackson's on flyer this month. You go from wine, it feels like a perfect transition to get to something else classy, doesn't it? You're looking for something special to really infuse a little holiday spirit into your December? Check out windspearcenter.com right now. You can read all about what the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra is up to, including, in just a few days from now, a traditional Christmas. December 17th through the 23rd, you can hear selections from the Nutcracker Suite and other favorite carols. Plus, December 18th through the 27th, Second, holiday magic. Some carols, but also holiday hits from some of the best Christmas movies going, like Home Alone and The Grinch Stole Christmas. And of course, December 28th through 30th, the wildly popular Hollywood for the Holidays. It is what it sounds like. Hollywood film music, like Harry Potter and Star Wars, all performed in the acoustically stunning Windspear Center Concert Hall. Youth tickets through December are 15 bucks. There's high demand for tickets tickets but adult admission still starts at $25 you can find it all online at windspearcenter.com 
Well, yesterday, uh, Canada's finance minister, she's also the deputy prime minister, of course, Christia Freeland, joined by the Bank of Canada's governor. That's Tiff Macklem, who addressed a new mandate, a five-year mandate to address inflation. And here's what Tiff Macklem had to say. At the beginning, uh, you know, remember, the concern was the economy plummeted, uh, inflate, we hit, we're in deflation. The concern was, was deflation and, and depression. Uh, and, and we came in very boldly uh, with, with monetary support. Fiscal policy uh, came in very boldly. That put a floor under this crisis that has supported this recovery. I want to assure Canadians that you know, we are going to use our framework to uh, get inflation back to target. So that was the governor of the Bank of Canada yesterday. So what does this all mean for us? That's what we care about, right? We wanted to go to the source. These are two economists that study this stuff. They're the cream of the crop. Marco Brianti, a professor of economics at the University of Alberta, a PhD at Boston College. His research focuses on the primary sources of expansions and recession. Meantime, Stephen Brown, the senior Canada economist at the independent macroeconomics forecasting company, Capital Economics, based out of Toronto, get this, was awarded Best Overall Forecaster for the Canadian Economy by Consensus Economics, Focus Economics back in 2020. Welcome to the show, uh, gentlemen. Stephen, are you kidding me? Best Overall Forecaster? What do you, you just, you, you got to put that up above the fireplace, I would imagine, because a lot of times <laughs> this can be a bit of a crapshoot, can it? Uh, yes, it can be. I'm quite proud of that one. Um, it does include uh, the inflation forecast, which is obviously quite handy for what we uh, were speaking about today. Although I have to say, I think all economists covering the Canadian economy have been surprised by how high inflation has risen this year. So looking forward to talk about that today. Yeah, well, let's get into that. Can you provide what we might call a scene setter here? It is surprising. Inflation's on the rise. People that barely know what they're talking about, myself included, we're buzzing about it. Mm. Yes, exactly. So we've got inflation at the moment is measuring at 4.7%. So, you know, close to 5%, which is the highest we've seen uh, in 18 years since 2003. And to be honest, it's, you know, just add 0.1% to that and it will be the highest we've seen since the early 1990s. So this really is a, a strange situation for for people who have been used to inflation being at closer to 2%, which is what the Bank of Canada is supposed to be aiming for. Um, the tricky thing for the bank is it's trying to entangle what exactly is driving inflation up. So for much of this year, the reason inflation has taken off so much is that we've had quite a few, um, well, temporary factors, hopefully, that have driven prices higher. So one of the big one has been oil prices, which has fed through to higher gasoline prices. And that's been a reflection of the fact that even though demand has been recovering um, as we get out of a pandemic, we haven't seen a supply response. So oil prices have shot up because US oil in particular has yet to rebound in terms of the, the output there. So there just isn't enough to supply to go around. And then at a global perspective, we've also seen a lot of upward pressure on things like car prices, furniture prices, electronics prices, you know, if they're available to buy at all. And that's a reflection of all this disruption and supply chain effects we've had from all these outbreaks of COVID around the world, particularly in Asia, which has basically shuttered ports down in, in some countries for, for weeks at a time. So we've got all these different effects coming through. But up to now, most of it has appeared to be temporary or things that should eventually fade. But the tricky thing is we are now seeing wages pick up. So that's changing the outlook for next year. 
Well, that's and that's an interesting point, Stephen. I appreciate that. Dr. Brianti, we hear 4.7% inflation. Even the average person knows that that's high, more than double the average. As, as Stephen pointed out, there was, there was, a, there was a, a bit of an answer addressed there with regards to what it means for people, higher costs, lower availability. But what do people need to understand about what this may mean for the next six or 12 or 18 months? So I think that what is important when we think about inflation to understand how wages, as Stefan was saying, are keeping up with the level of inflation. Because the problem is that if the price of food, for example, gasoline or shelter is going up, but your nominal wage is the same, then your purchasing power is going down. And this is how inflation may affect families in Canada and all over the world. So. There are some little evidence that wages are going to pick up. So this is a mixed news, but on some sense there are also good news because it means that also the purchasing power of the families are going up. And so this increasing price is, is matched also by increasing wages. That's, uh, that's the idea. Although I would say it would be an above average scenario for someone who is receiving a 4.7 or 5% raise annually, right? I mean, you don't, you don't see a lot of three-year contracts oh. where you see 15% salary growth through the course of the contract. Absolutely, absolutely. So this is exactly the issue that when we have this uh, strong acceleration in prices, wages tend to struggle to keep up with the speed up of inflation and uh, so the, the wealth, the real wealth of the families is, is, is going down during this period. So hopefully the idea is that this mismatch between supply and demand that Stefan was talking about is only something that is going to affect us in the short run in the next six months. So with uh, that, uh, with the hope that it's not going to affect family over the medium run, let me say. So this announcement yesterday, Governor Bank of Canada, the finance minister talking to Canadians, a joint press conference, they essentially announced the details of a new five-year mandate, and it'll guide the central bank's monetary policy decisions in, in, until 2026 or so. Stephen, what jumped out at you as especially significant, and do you believe that the Bank of Canada and the federal government is on the right track? Yeah, so we should start by saying, so the Bank of Canada, it's it's mandated to target inflation of 2%, but it's allowed flexibility within a range of 1% to 3%. So obviously, at the moment, inflation is much higher than that. Um, what the bank told us yesterday and the government told us is that it's sticking to that framework. So the bank should still be aiming for inflation of somewhere between 1% and 3%. But what changed was sort of the communications around that official framework. And basically, the government said that the bank should also keep a very firm eye on employment, um, which might sound you know, obvious to, to someone who doesn't follow economics. Surely the Bank of Canada, which is setting policy, should be keeping an eye on employment. And that has been the case. But there's this view that maybe before the pandemic, when we were coming out of the global financial crisis sort of over a decade ago, the central banks sort of raised interest rates a bit too quickly. So people weren't able to get into the labor market, having lost their jobs after the financial crisis, say, because conditions for businesses were getting a bit too hard too quickly. So this idea now is that the bank should wait until employment is looking very strong again before it starts thinking about tightening policy, because that way people that have maybe been on the sidelines for a couple of years, say they lost their job in an industry that's in decline, they've got a bit more of an extra chance to get back into the workforce somewhere else. So, you know, my first impression is that this is a great thing. It, it should be the case that policymakers have people in mind. They should be looking for employment. But the risk around this is that if central banks act this way and focus too, so, 
too squarely on employment, then they could be behind the curve. And what we mean by that is maybe the economy gets a bit too strong. We start seeing wages and prices go up. And then you have a cycle where prices actually end up going more than wages and, and people you know, they see their real purchasing power fall. So that's the risk around this. And, you know, to some extent, we could already be there because the bank has been holding off from tightening policy, even though we have inflation running pretty rampant at the moment. Marco, um, do you uh, do you agree with that assessment? 100%. No, 100%. So in general, uh, uh, historically, central banks, uh, have the, the, the target of the central bank was inflation around 2%. In particular, in Canada, is between 1% and 3%. But now with uh, the challenges of the great financial crisis, but also with the COVID-19 pandemic, we realize that central banks should also target uh, a little bit more the real economy, in particular the labor market, uh, as yesterday was said in the renewal of the agreement between the government and the central bank. But that point is that there is a trade-off because you cannot uh, keep up with both of them. So if you're if you're following more the labor market, then there is the risk that you're losing track of prices and you can enter is, uh, in, a, in a spiral of uh, hyper higher inflation, for example. So I totally agree in that sense that uh, I like it. It's a very exciting period for central banks because they are slightly changing their target also for the Federal Reserve. It happened a couple of years ago. But on the same, uh, at the same time, we are learning by doing whether this is possible and whether there are some repercussions in terms of inflation. Sure. Uh, Stephen, I've, I've seen some politicians assert that the, the, what's fueling uh, this inflation uh, most acutely is an infusion of cash into the economy by way of benefits like the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, CERB, the $2,000 a month that many Canadians received through the early and mid stages of this pandemic, though I should hesitate when I characterize as the mid stages of this pandemic. Maybe we're still in the mid stages, but you get my point. Is that accurate? Do we look to things like CERB as drivers of this increase, this doubled up inflation? Uh, no, I, I would push back on that um, quite firmly, really, because, you know, if it was the case that these benefits were f the reason inflation has picked up so sharply, we should also be seeing a booming economy. Household spending should be through the roof, but household spending is still lower than it was before the pandemic. So even though we've given people this money, they haven't actually been spending it. So to make the leap to say that that's behind the rise in prices, I think, is, is a bit too much of a stretch. Um, but that doesn't mean that policy decisions haven't contributed. I think really we need to look to global policy decisions. So in the US, people have been spending a lot more of their benefits. And because the two economies are so linked, that has contributed to some of this big upward pressure on demand across the North American continent and contributed to inflation in that way. But really, I would, I would still say firmly that this is mainly a, a supply fix. So if we look at the, the factors that have been driving up um, prices, you know, beyond gasoline, you know, it's, it's cars, it's furniture, it's electronics. Those are all the things that have been suffering from limited, uh, limited supply. Yeah. Um, retailers just don't have any inventories. And, you know, it, it is the fact that some of these things have been in high demand during the pandemic. So, for instance, uh, electronics, PlayStations, for instance, everyone was stuck at home. But I think in general, it's still supply that, that has caused this. But the, you do raise a very interesting point in that, you know, if we do see the end of a pandemic uh, in 2022 and people start to become a lot more confident, they do still have all this money in their savings accounts that they could go out and spend. So we could have another wave of inflation fueled by demand this time.
Uh, Marco, in closing, I'm, I'm curious to know, people want to know what this means for their decisions, right? I mean, folks are going to say, does this mean, uh, should I lock into a mortgage now or should I lock into a fixed rate now or should I buy the new vehicle now or should I wait till it cools down? I mean, anybody that's been on a car lot recently knows exactly what Stephen said to be true, that if you've been looking for a vehicle over the past 12 months, there's like four of them on the lot. Now, that's starting to change most especially with the dealerships we partner with. But still, people want to make sure that they make the right decision. So for people making big financial decisions, is the play get in now or hang tight? So the problem with inflation is that uh, there are these uh, self-fulfilling expectations that if you expect inflation to be higher in future, what you, what is better to, for you is to purchase uh, a good, a car or an house today, because otherwise in future it's going to cost more. And the problem is that this is what is fueling higher inflation in future. But with the fact that the central bank is targeting the range between one and 3%, we expect that in six or 12 months, the prices are going to slow down. And so to me, the best would be to wait to purchase when prices are going to slow down and the real purchasing power of the family is going to get back on track. At least this is my point of view. Okay, that's Dr. Marco Brianti, an economist uh, out of the University of Alberta. Stephen Brown also joining us. Best overall forecaster for the Canadian economy, the senior Canada economist at Capital Economics. Gentlemen, thanks both for your time and insight. We appreciate it. Pleasure to be with you. Good stuff. Real talkers, you can let us know where you're at with regards to those big decisions. And that was such an interesting one by Dr. Brianti at the end, that point about the self-fulfilling prophecy or else we, you know, in other words, we create or we manifest our own issues, right? I mean, if everybody hears that, you, you you look at the human behavior and you understand it, right? Because mortgages are a big deal. I mean, one point on a mortgage can be a big deal over the, the course of that term or over the course of the life of the mortgage, right? So if people hear rates are going up, they want to get locked in. But then once you start doing that, the more people buy houses, then it drives up the... We just want to make sure that everybody knows what's going on. We understand the lay of the land. We provide like a, a topographical map. I also love British accents, by the way. Can I mention inventory did you hear him say inventory doesn't that make more sense than inventory inventory i thought that was good it's like aluminium aluminium makes way more sense i like aluminium it sounds way better than aluminum aluminum and and it's like aluminium yeah yeah i like it I like it. Oh boy. That's what you took away from that conversation. That's what, that's cool. I did, everything that was said after inventory, I was just it was just white noise in my head. I was like, huh, I like the pronunciation of that word. I loved that point about Serb. The idea that no 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 no, this has nothing to do with Serb. And if it did, we would be seeing a uh, booming economy. That's why my pal Lazi calls this show the watchdog. He just sends mm. me text messages after interviews like this when he goes, Watchdog, woof. Because they love it. All caps? Well, because, well, sometimes the woof is all caps. He's just watchdog. Because you know what? We hear politicians say a whole bunch of things from all different political parties, and we want to know, is it true or is it bullshit? And that's essentially our job, is to have our BS detector on full time and to make sure that we, as a collective audience, as a community, are being fed information that's accurate. Our friends at Friesen Brothers want me to remind you, have you heard of the jewel of the jungle? Have you heard about these pink glow pineapples? This Christmas, 
give the gift of a rare tropical fruit that looks like a regular pineapple on the outside, but inside it's got this unbelievable pink color. You can taste the difference this blushing fruit has this season to share it with those closest to you. I love the idea. Friesen Brothers, of course, also making gift buying easy with their gift boxes. They can be customized to any theme, person, occasion, whether it's Hanukkah, whether it's something that maybe somebody's celebrating or mourning this holiday season, whether it's Christmas, Kwanzaa, you name it, Festivus. Hey, they could get one of those poles, one of the Festivus poles. Friesen Brothers is going to get in touch with us. They're like, we don't carry Festivus poles, dude. But other than that, their gift box is unbelievably easy to customize. Check them out online at Friesen.com. And don't forget, their Christmas feasts are going at all the Friesen Brothers Fresh Market stores Saturday, December 18th from 4 to 8 p.m. All-you-can-eat turkey and ham dinner buffet for just 25 bucks a person. If you're heading out of town this holiday season, why not save money? Leave your car at Jet Set, your money in the bank by booking ahead at jetsetparking.com if you're flying out of edmonton international airport your reservation at jetsetparking.com using the promo code realtalk means you're parking for five dollars a day you're gone for an entire week it's 35 dollars to park your car it costs more to park your car for two hours in many downtown centers five dollars a day booked ahead of time at jetsetparking.com using the promo code realtalk We also want to give a big shout out to our friends at McBain Camera. I know it's been a really busy month for them, of course, because these Fujifilm holiday sales continue. They've also got all the deals on with the Fujifilm X-T4 camera body, $400 off right now. Whether it's photography or videography, the Fujifilm X-T4 has been designed to be the ultimate hybrid image making tool. It's got that powerful 26.1 megapixel sensor and then that five axis in-body image stabilizer, which means your photos are going to be crystal clear, not blurry, even in low light, even if you're zoomed in, you're going to look like a pro. You can visit McBainCamera.com today to see the full list of Fujifilm holiday deals. McBain, create to inspire. And I wanted to recognize the paying of a wager, the paying off of a bet today. This was purchased, this, uh, this payout I'm assuming at the Dairy Queen in Westmount in North Edmonton. Sam, am I correct on that? Yes, you would be. Whoa, you would be correct. No, you must. You must have logistically. I'm assuming picked this up yesterday. Unfortunately, they don't open until ten thirty. That's weird that they wouldn't yeah. be doing blizzards at six o'clock. I know. In the morning. Like, why very... can't you actually get breakfast blizzards? Breakfast blizzard. You're on Samuel to G. Brooks, what have you just come up with? <laughs> what would be in the breakfast? Well, okay, let's not get off because we're going to start bacon eggs. I was thinking. Yeah, like bacon might be a little... If you did like a caramel bacon or like a maple bacon, maple bacon chunks with... Because I'm thinking like crispy hash browns, but that might be a little bit gnarly. I'm not sure that would work this with is, ice cream. We're still workshopping. This. We're still working. This is yeah. this is just a whiteboard session. Yes. I, I'd go the other way. I'd put like bits of cereal in it or something. <gasps> See, I mean, the guy is, you know what we're going to do is we're going to lose Sam to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We're going to bring him on in recipe. <laughs> they're going to bring him on in recipe development. We're going to lose our technical producer. Sir Hoyles, what do you have in your hand? Oh, I have a score blizzard oh, right here. There you go. And I've got it in blizzard in the snow that is falling outside. Ed- oh, in Edmonton beautifully right now. presented. Yeah. So, of course, the background here, Hoyle 
Royals bet on the Bombers. Samuel Brooks bet on the hometown Tie Cats. And of course, in overtime, the Bombers win the 108th, I think it was, 108th Grey Cup. And so Sarah Hoyle's rocking that blizzard this morning. Of course, the Dairy Queens at Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. We're proud to partner with them. We're talking about the Dairy Queen where Sam went at Westmount, plus Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, and Baseline Road. Their Dairy Queen Blizzard of the Month, not the score blizzard like you picked up, right? That's your personal favorite? Fave. Did you consider going with the peppermint hot cocoa blizzard treat? I did, but you know, I just, there's, I always want, I just, I want, want those score chunks. You know I what? There's nothing them. wrong with that. It's like coming home, right? It's like coming home after time away, getting back to your score blizzard. But if you feel like trying something new, the peppermint hot cocoa blizzard treat blends the world famous Dairy Queen soft serve with peppermint candy cane pieces, choco chunks, and cocoa fudge for unforgettable holiday flavors. They've also got their holiday log cakes on for half price right now, and they're selling DQ bucks in support of the Stollery Children's Hospital. Donate five bucks, get back five bucks in DQ bucks at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Choco Chunk would be another great band name. Just throwing it out there. A solid band name, Choco Chunk. All right. Tomorrow. You can also workshop that one. <laughs> no, I, no I, I'm ready to settle on You're that. You're standing by okay, that yeah, one? No, I'm ready. I, I, I would be the backup. I'd do backup vocals and percussion for Choco Chunk any day. <laughs> <laughs> Although you people could use that as a slur, couldn't they, right? They'd see me like hammering down on a blizzard and the, you Choco Chunk. I, I don't know. We, you'd have to own it like a self-deprecating type thing. Should we get back on track? Maybe. We've got coming up tomorrow a great conversation on what you can expect your future cell phone bills to look like if this proposed deal goes through. Uh, we've got uh, McGill University professor Paul Bowman, who's going to join us tomorrow uh, to break down what a proposed Rogers Shaw deal could mean for Canada's mobility landscape. If you pay attention to this, which you probably do, because you're impacted by high prices, really, regardless of what phone you're carrying or where you live in Canada, right? Canada is seen as a country with relatively few options and relatively high prices when it comes to mobility. We want to know what you're paying for your mobility right now, your Wi-Fi, everything else as well, internet, streaming services. It's the subject of this week's question of the week presented by our friends at Y Station. Just go to ryanjesperson.com, our website, go to connect, and then under connect, select question of the week. Now, when you click there, you're going to find this question is going to take you about two minutes, two minutes or less. We want to get a sense of where you're at, real talkers, when it comes to access to mobility. Now, our most recent question of the week presented by our friends at Y Station took on photo radar, and we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. We want to get to the results. So, Sam, if we're ready to tee this up, why don't we get into the top line report? These are the results of our most recent question of the week. All right. So. We go to our friends at Y Station every single week and we ask them to pull the audience, so to speak. And we asked you about photo radar and you responded. Let's take a look at some of the highlights of this. 11% of real talkers have never received a ticket. Can you believe it? You have never received a ticket. 11% of real talkers. Can I say that the bigger pull from that is that 89% of real talkers have received a photo radar ticket? So virtually, almost everybody chiming in can relate they have lived experience so to speak when it comes to photo radar here's another key takeaway from that report 
65% of you, let's call it two-thirds of Real Talkers polled, said that even if they're not speeding, they instinctively slow down when they see a big, bright, fluorescent yellow photo radar truck. Here's another takeaway from this poll. This was an interesting one. 73% of you, let's call it three out of four, believe that photo radar is a setup to trick people, at least to some extent. And I want to hash this out with my colleagues here, but I believe that to be true. All radar enforcement, all speed enforcement, in a way, is designed to trick people. So my cops have been hiding behind billboards and bushes and cars forever. Here's a final poll out of the data before we get into some of your comments. 86% of real talkers have a simple solution. And this one annoys me, Hoyles. This is the one that annoys me. 86% of real talkers say, essentially, if you don't want to get a photo radar ticket, don't, don't speed. speed. <laughs> Which, you know what's the most annoying thing about that to me? It's true. Yeah, I'm like, okay, so when you said there's that many folks on the real talk that took the real talk survey saying, yes, they have gotten a ticket, that means, yes, they have sped. Yeah. That's like simple math. Yeah. You get a ticket, you went too fast, you get a ticket. I I don't like the method of enforcement, but I can't argue with the fact that if you don't want one, don't speed. You can't argue with it. Now, though, uh, those of you that have been ticketed, get this. And here's what I think is also a significant point. Just 29% reported an outright change in behavior to not speeding at all anymore. Okay, so only 30%, and that's being generous, 29% reported a change in behavior after receiving a ticket to not speeding anymore. One in four of you support new restrictions in Alberta on photo radar, but 59% believe there's additional risk to pedestrians as a result. Now, what are we talking about in Alberta? The Alberta government putting new limits on how police and how municipalities, remember these are city by city or municipality by municipality type decisions, New rules on how municipalities can use photo radar. As of December 1st, per Alberta's transportation minister, photo radar, a hot button, says Rajan Sani. There are many who feel it can be used unfairly to generate revenue instead of using it for its intended purpose, which is to improve traffic safety. So coming up in April, a few months from now, four months from now, municipalities will be banned from using the tech photo radar on roads where drivers must rapidly change speeds like freeway on and off ramps, which I think is good. It's a cheap shot to have a photo. uh, I mean, I I told you about this. I know no one's going to feel sorry for me, but a couple of summers ago, I told you about the ticket I got in the beautiful municipality of Slave Lake. I love it up there. It goes from 90 or 100, 90 or 100 down to 50. And I got hit going 91 in a 50 photo radar. It's a huge ticket. I would never blow through Slave Lake going 90. I would never do that. I don't know where the truck was, where the vehicle was. All I know is that as I was slowing down as a law-abiding citizen, they managed to snag 500 bucks out of my wallet. It's annoying! The new limitations one driver also, and I'm saying this somewhat facetiously, I know I'm going to get angry emails. Have Have you gone back to that exact spot? I've not gone back to the exact spot, no. I just, I wonder, because I'm like, will you go more slowly next time? Will you, will you be more oh, sure. gradual in your... But will I, 
drive more and, and listen i see i don't want to paint myself as some sort of like buffoon that's just ripping through municipalities <laughs> no, no, speeding no. all over the place a menace to society that's not my style but of course were i to be there i mean sam like let's take the heat off of me and apply it to somebody else for a second <laughs> but you told me something sam that i know that thousands of people will be able to relate to which is which is what your habit is anytime you drive near an overpass for yeah, example yeah it's just if you if you're from edmonton you're used to it like Regardless of what speed you're going on the freeway, you pump the brakes when you come into an overpass. And it's just, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, man. It's like photo radar just makes me check my speed. Like anytime I see the truck, anytime I know it's a spot where it it's is, working. it's working. It's working. Yeah. I, like <laughs> but, there you but, go. But it is a mental but if, deterrent. But if you're like slamming on your brakes and yes, I'm being dramatic, but if you're slamming on your brakes, when you see a big yellow photo radar truck, or when you know there's a good chance there's going to be photo radar there and then immediately resume your speed again, is it really effective? I, uh, it, <sighs> That is that is a problem right there. I think you've 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 nailed a, a problem there. But I also think that you know it's it's made people check themselves. Um, oh oh shit! I'm going how how fast? I mean, in Hinton, I don't know if you ever find this, but in Hinton there's this one stretch of highway. Yeah. When you're going through, and yeah, I always have to make sure and I watch my speedometer because the number of times. I have gotten a ticket and other members of my family have gotten a ticket going out to Jasper or back. Holy smokes. So that I know in that place, I got to be careful. So it's working. Yeah. Hitting on the way to Jasper, beautiful Jasper. A reminder that coming up tomorrow, we've got my Jasper memories presented by Tourism Jasper. Yeah. Edson, Hinton, everybody knows you got to roll slow through those communities. That's kind of like their visitors tax, isn't it? I don't think there's a lot of locals in communities like Edson and Hinton getting nailed all the time with photo radar, but you know, you always have like a wonderful trip to the mountains then you get home and then two weeks later you get that letter in the mail and you know, as soon as you see it, you're like, damn it. Uh, we want to let our audience know if you've tuned in to hear uh, urban planner, uh, urbanist Brent Totter, and we're just experiencing some technical difficulties and we're going to endeavor to get Brent back on the show to talk about photo radar because he's got a great perspective on it. Uh, and I'm going to get to some of your comments in just a second. But but first, I want to tell you, I mean, we heard some really interesting uh, information about inflation and about supply and demand. And this has been the messaging from our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge for the better part of the last six months. They've been acknowledging and hitting this head on going, listen, we know if you came to see us in person or if you were browsing our inventory online, looking for anything from the Jeep lineup or the Ram 1500 or the big heavy haulers, the one tons, whatever it is you're looking for, inventory just hasn't been there across the country, across North America for that matter. Well, guess what? That's changed. And if you take a look online at their inventory, Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge right now. Plus, if you take a look at what they've got online, you can shop safely indoors. They've got all distancing protocols in place. Selection is the best it's been in literally two years. So if you're looking to absolutely make somebody's year by upgrading your family's ride, or maybe it's time to treat yourself to something a little more trustworthy on the highway, today's a great day to go see the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. We also want to remind you that Trash Talk 
talk is coming up. I've got a couple set aside right now. This one from Allison is pure fire. Talking about divorce rates with millennials. You remember that one, Oils? I'm going, oh my gosh, can it be Friday already so we can talk about Allison's trash talk submission? Local Waste has been sponsoring trash talk since we kicked this thing off. You can connect with them today for a bin and out of Edmonton, out of Regina. They're operating, of course, across both provinces, Alberta and Saskatchewan at localwaste.ca. You can understand more about what it looks like to partner with this family-owned business. Whether it's a 10-foot bin you need for maybe your small retail outlet or a big 40-foot bin, maybe you're doing demo or maybe you're renovating your basement, keep it local with Local Waste. Our friends at Eden Landscaping want me to remind you, I was talking to Mike just a couple of weeks ago. I was letting you know, he said, listen, a lot of people are going to want their jobs to start in March. They're going to want them to be complete by June. He goes, that means that we got to be talking now. We've got to be starting the design process now and getting some of those supplies on order. Mike's got the experience. He knows they've been managing the challenges of this labor market, of the supply market, the supply chain constraints over the past 18 months or so. At landscapeedmonton.ca, you can see how they bring outdoor spaces to life, a one-stop shop from design all the way through to completion. And of course, our friends at Kubi Energy can help you achieve your sustainable energy goals. They're solar energy solutions to power your life, including agricultural solutions. It's a great time of year to start exploring how solar can make your life easier. Whether it's a big industrial complex you've got, or maybe you're building your dream home. Make Kubi Energy part of the plan from the outset, working out of Alberta, in Edmonton and BC in Kamloops. They've got you covered with their Tesla certified installers at Kubi Energy. I wanted to get to a, a quick email on home ownership. We talked about this uh, earlier this week, and, and, and this is from Maureen. This, I guess, could be a trash talk, but we were talking about, uh, and we we're talking to the federal housing minister, Ahmed Hussein, who joined us. If you missed that interview, that was yesterday. Uh, you can check it out. I'm like, I'm not sure when I thought it was. It's only Tuesday. <laughs> what day of the I'm week like, do you think I'm like, is? earlier this week. So was that yesterday? <laughs> yes, it was that we talked to Ahmed Hussein. He seemed to get a little bit like, uh, did he get a little testy at one point? I loved it. He was like, he's he, like, he's like, you asked me what we're doing and now I'm telling you what we're doing. So and I was like, I'm just asking man. He seemed to be a little bit like he didn't like the pushback, but. But that's what I'd like to me. Sometimes people say, you know, oh, we're, we're being soft on them. <laughs> like I was like, case in point. No, no, we're not. Yeah. Typically people that think I'm being soft on politicians are the ones that think we should just bring them on and just participate in like Singapore style lashings. So yeah, we didn't have that, but I was curious in particular whether the federal housing minister, he's minister of housing, diversity and inclusion, I think is the full title, uh, whether or not he was concerned about the impact that, that federal policy on banning foreign ownership of property, you know, essentially vacant properties with a whole bunch of asterisks and we'd really have to get into it. But it's Essentially, they're banning as opposed to taxing foreign buyers. They're banning them for a period of, I think he said, two years. And the federal government's going to keep an eye on what it does, whether or not it calms the real estate market or brings some some some. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Slows the, the 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 hot, the superheated markets in in urban centers like Vancouver and Toronto, but also across the country. People are experiencing. It's all relative. You know, if a home. In, in rural Manitoba goes from 40 grand to 70 grand. It's still a big jump in so many ways as a condo in Vancouver going from 300 grand 15 years ago to 1.4 million now for 500 square feet or whatever it is. Right. 
I asked him if he was concerned about what that might do to sellers in Canada, whether or not people might be upset about their nest egg, about the, you know, the equity that they've been working hard to build. And it prompted Maureen to reach out to the show and her emails quick. And quick emails, by the way, are way more likely to be read. So, Maureen, thanks for this. It's quick and to the point. She says, regarding home ownership and vacant, empty homes, while there are people desperately wanting to buy new homes, your attitude about this, Mr. Jesperson, is very conservative. In other words, it's all okay as long as it doesn't affect me personally. Maureen says, this is coming from a homeowner, by the way. We should be able to get past what is only good for us. That from Maureen which I appreciate uh, spread the word that we're, you know, putting out nothing but conservative talking points on this show. We'll triple our audience on the prairies overnight, but in all seriousness, talking about getting past what's only good for us. I recognize and I acknowledge that there are serious crunches when it comes to Canada's housing market, in particular, access to affordable housing, uh, access to appropriate housing for families, growing families and for younger, typically younger buyers that are looking for a foot in the door. They're looking for their entry into the housing market. But there is that other element of the population, the boomers, the Gen Xers, people that have worked hard to build equity in their homes. Some people I know are already going to roll their eyes. Oh, they've worked hard to build equity in their homes, have they? Damn straight they have. In their own worlds, they came up with the down payment. They've been making the mortgage payments. They've been upkeeping their homes in the confidence that the market would continue to flourish, that the market would continue to grow. And now a lot of people's retirement goals, a lot of people's plans for longer term health care and supports for themselves or family members, people they love, maybe covering their kids tuition payments, whatever the case is, all of that or a lot of that is currently invested in their home. And so policies that would slow a real estate market would be of concern to those folks, the other half of the equation, there's the sellers and the buyers. In this case, it's the sellers. I'm curious to know how you're figuring this out. Are you from the one perspective or the other? I mean, what's your reality look like? And what would you like to see with regards to a hand up, not a handout, but a hand up that might help you achieve your property ownership goals? I mean, heck, we hear from some folks that say this next generation doesn't even give a rip about property ownership. And if indeed that's the case, I'd be curious to know what that does to market prices as well. That's an issue of supply and demand. I'll believe that when I see it. I just I don't know that they're that they don't want or they don't give a rip. I think that they are just like, uh, I can't. There is no way in. So I'm not even going to dream about it. I'm not even going to think about it renting from here on in. And there's also the question of generational wealth. Like the the boomers, the ones that were, are able to get in there, they're able to then have that nest egg, have that investment, that equity, and they can pass it on to their kids. Uh, who are those folks that were able to be boomers and, and buy those homes? There, There is generational wealth and yeah. there is inequality baked right in. And, 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 and I'm not counterpointing that i'm adding to that because what you're saying is true um, there's also the question of you know whether or not it's the market's job i i know some people are going to flip but is it necessarily the market's job to pursue equality or equal access as its number one mandate or is the market essentially responding to supply and demand to the factors that have always been there driving markets for millennia right I, I just I feel like we're what is the what is where are we basing 
the value of this. Like if we're, I mean, looking at Elon Musk just getting named as person of the year by Time Magazine, that's basically saying, look, this guy uh, busts unions and uh, is all about, you know, putting things up into space and not paying fair wages and, and we're celebrating him. And that might seem like I'm just I'm gone off on a tangent, but but really, it's about like where what are we valuing? And if it's if it's about like having great housing prices or making sure that everyone is has a home, I don't know. I just, I just feel like yeah, the I mean, premise. I don't agree with the premise. And that's your perspective. I, yeah. That's fine. I mean, I could sit here. Someone someone uh, <laughs> tweeted at me yesterday with the 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 announcement from Time that Elon Musk is the person of the year, and someone said, "Oh, Jesperson, looks like you're not the only one who loves Elon Musk." And, and I kind of went, well, first of all, do I love Elon Musk? I don't know if I love Elon Musk. Um, but second of all, I'm pretty sure that a lot of people think that Elon Musk is absolutely remarkable. He's innovative. He's one of these sort of quirky dudes. Hoyles, I, I, it doesn't matter. You can't deny it. And I'm just going to say generational wealth. No, but Sarah, Sarah, Sarah that's gen- fine. But a lot of people don't give a fuck about that. I'm just going to say he's an innovator. He's driven Tesla to where it is right now. He's built some of the biggest and most valuable companies in the world. He's exploring space. He's a remarkable person, whether you like him or not so you can have the thing about like he's busting unions and a lot of people will go damn straight like it's not a universal negative character quality to bust unions people that value unions would loathe someone that would bust unions but a lot of other people that would say how did someone build this enormous empire part of it was driving hard bargains on these types of things i'm not saying this is me Mm. i'm just saying that a lot of people would say what has he done for his bottom line how has he grown his companies how has he created wealth how has he explored unexplored areas i mean how is he blazing trails and those things are also relevant you got to look at sort of the whole big picture right absolutely. like there's more to elon musk than just being a union buster absolutely but i think the idea that he is this like oh he's an innovator no he had a major nest egg from oh, his on. from his parents to be able to invest just like donald trump you can say that donald trump was this amazing investor no he was given millions of dollars he by his given, dad yeah sure but that's that's irrelevant that doesn't mean that he's not innovative you can't i, I won't even listen to it I, i'm not even trying to be a prick but you can't say elon musk is not an innovator that you just absolutely can't say it you just can't sam do you want to get dragged into this one no, we should mention that we're all friends here. Want. We're all friends here. We're all friends. I'm just saying you can't say Elon Musk not an innovator. I mean, the guy created like, come on. He has great ideas, but the only reason why he's able to realize them is because he has backing of uh, family wealth. Like he could just be a dude if sitting I had at a, a bar, not actually being able to materialize anything because he doesn't have the, uh, the the backing the, the millions of dollars from his family i can guarantee you if i was given millions or billions of dollars from my family all i would do is get drunk on a beach all day i would not build a new car company i would not send anybody to outer space i would literally fly all of my friends to the island i just bought and the party would be on me including everybody that joins us on real talk you too would get your very own uh, you know I, i'm sort of like thinking like these maybe these sort of like the stilt homes you know these like dream homes everybody would have their own areas Stick with us, kids, because I tell you, the minute that we achieve generational wealth, we're going to do it. Debbie says on the housing front, I'm, Debbie says, I still say we need to define what a so-called starter home is. Like a starter home is not 2,000 plus square feet, four bedrooms, three baths. And Debbie says for a lot of people, that seems to be the expectation, right? Michelle says, I can't get over this car that my son is excited about in an exotic car magazine. The car is worth what car is this? Is this a Bugatti? Maybe she says it's worth $19 million. Maybe a McLaren. I don't know what car is worth $19 million. She says a world where that even exists, let alone a market for it. 
is broken. Interesting point. Danny says there's a lot of financial advice out there talking about the myth of home ownership as a sound investment, uh, suggesting instead that the renting for life and investing may be a better long term return. Sam, that resonated with you. Well, I think that like I, I just want to throw something very, very, very basic onto the table of the discussion here. And you have to pick one side. Do you buy a house to live in or do you buy a house as an investment? Because that fundamentally changes how you see this situation. If you buy a house to live in, if the purpose is to have this shelter over your head, let's talk about the boomer generation. They're not big renters. There wasn't a whole lot of rental market at the time. They also had good jobs, largely union jobs that paid high wages. There were low down payments on houses. The market was a lot cooler back then. So they had all of these tools at their disposal to get into this market and most of them did not buy a house to say, this is going to be worth 10x what I paid for right. one day. They bought a house so that their family would have a roof over their head. And so I think that when you phrase the question like that, you know, I'm absolutely on the side that, you know, we need caps on this runaway housing prices thing and we need caps on and, and regulations. What do you mean caps place. though? What do you mean I, caps? Yeah, caps was the wrong Cause, word. Cause the, I, I think I meant regulation. Regulation. Yeah. Okay. Because, yeah, because, you know, like when you start talking about caps, then people start like there are people that believe that a market should operate free from government interference, not not necessarily oversight. In other words, there needs to be regulations. But but what role should government play? People oftentimes say government shouldn't be in the business of business. Um, this goes back to our earlier conversation today on inflation. What role should a federal government play? What role should the Bank of Canada play or the central bank play with regards to that type of market uh, correction or market influence. Okay, fine. But if a market should operate without interference, every time Elon Musk tweets something, the stock market changes. Sure. That's interference. Yeah. So are we praising this person for gleefully, and I say it emphatically, gleefully manipulating markets because he thinks it's fun. Yeah, well, I don't know if he thinks it's fun. It's creating hundreds of millions of dollars for his bottom line. Everybody also needs to keep in mind that like Adolf Hitler has been named person of the year. Person of the year is not praise. It's no. not it's not always a crown. The person Donald of, Trump was named person yeah, of the year. The yeah. person of the year is the newsmaker of the year. They're not saying that this person should be the next pope, right? Um, although that's a weird comment. <laughs> Let's not even go there. Coming up tomorrow, we'll take on the Catholic Church. No, no, no. Uh, Coming up tomorrow, we do have a couple of other cool things going on. I'm going to tell you about those in just a second. But first, let me remind you. Geez, I could have picked another example, couldn't I? Couldn't I have said king? Couldn't I have said queen? Uh, Park Power is driving, of course, powering our hashtag. That's Real Talk RJ. And we appreciate the hashtag was moving yesterday through the day. We keep an eye on it. It's a great way to get in touch with the show, whether you're suggesting new guests, whether you're responding to a segment that we put out there, whether you're bringing something to our attention, Park Power is your friendly local utilities provider. And now's a great time of year to take a look at what you're paying for your utilities and whether or not you could get a better deal. So you can compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet with Park Power right now. And keep in mind, they also offer fixed rate and variable rate structures. But here's the deal. You're never locked in. A lot of these companies, they're going to say, what do you want, fixed or variable? And then they're going to, you're locked in for two years or three years. And the exit penalties are huge. Not Park Power. You're never locked in because it's a company looking out for your best interests. It's also why they take 10% of their electricity profits and give them to charity. We love, we're proud to partner with Park Power. You can find them online, parkpower.ca. 2021-REALTALK is the promo code that gets you 70 bucks off your first bill. 
The team at Breathe Outdoors wants to remind you that their winter adventure sale continues online. You can save up to 40% off outdoor gear. And of course, you can check out their newly renovated stores as well. You've known them as Campers Village since the 60s. They've been earning your trust. Breathe Outdoors is their reflection that... People have different reasons for getting outdoors, including hiking and paddling and snowshoeing and dog walking. Right now, their expert advice means they've got a curated selection of quality outdoor products, and they have events they organize as well to enable you to improve not only your physical, but your emotional and spiritual well-being. This is way more than just an outdoor goods store. You can check them out in person at their Alberta stores. And of course, you can get all those details on their website where you can also shop at breatheoutdoors.ca. And you know how proud we are to have released with Woody Creek Distillers, our Real Talk Cask Number 1 bourbon. There's a lot of buzz around this. We told you there's just 210 bottles that's capped. We've got one cask, one barrel, and when supplies are gone, they're gone. So whether you're picking it up to collect, to gift, or to maybe crack that bottle open and enjoy through this month of December into January, we're loving reviews like this one that we saw yesterday. How about this from Gordon, who's a member of the Edmonton Whiskey Forum? Gordon says, I may have gone overboard. Apparently, I'm susceptible to marketing. He wonders, which one should I open first? He's got the Woody Creek Whiskey. He's got the Woody Creek bourbon, and then he's got the Real Talk cask number one bourbon. That's our corn whiskey. It's aged for six years in virgin charred American oak barrels, and people are loving it. Gordon, a shout out to you. A reminder, if you want to specifically find the Real Talk cask number one corn whiskey, it's a bourbon. You'll find it in Edmonton at Whiskey Drop and Sherbrooke Liquor. You can find it in Calgary at Vine Art. And a big shout out to Laura, who was in touch with the show yesterday to know that that's exactly where she went, Vine Arts in Calgary, to pick up her bottle of the Real Talk Cask Number 1 bourbon. We wanted to take a look at a couple of items in the news right now, and we promised you yesterday that we'd revisit the results of our unscientific, unofficial Twitter poll. Uh, Brian Jean swept to victory over the weekend in Lac La Biche. He will be, unless the premier refuses to sign his papers, he will be the nominee in the upcoming by-election for Fort McMurray, Lac La Biche. In case you're unfamiliar, Brian Jean, the former leader of Alberta's official opposition, the Wild Rose Party, he's been a member of parliament federally representing the riding of Fort McMurray in past and, and, and essentially, in a way, He's a big deal in Fort McMurray. His family are big players in in the business sector there, and his name goes a long way. So what does this mean, especially considering the fact that he ran on a platform of purging Jason Kenney as leader of the party? Like I said yesterday, this isn't even a Trojan horse scenario. The army's just at the gates, and they want the drawbridge down. So we asked you yesterday, as he swept to victory, what does it mean? What'll happen ultimately? Uh, about 1,990 of you. I don't know why I said about. Exactly 1,990 of you. I guess, could I have gone away? I could have said about 2,000 of you, but I don't like to exaggerate. 1,990 of you chimed in on this. The leading response, which really didn't change, it only fluctuated about four percentage points through the entire 24 hours. 53% of you say that Brian Jean will win the by-election in February or March, and then he'll split the party. 
In other words, Wildrose 2.0. The next most popular response was he will win and then he'll chase out the premier. Uh, 18% believe that he'll be successful. Just under one in five think that he will achieve what he has said he will achieve. Uh, Twelve and a half, let's call it 13% of you say that he will win and then languish in backbench obscurity. And 16% of you are unfortunately wrong. You say that he will lose the Fort McMurray by-election. Quite frankly, there's not a chance in hell that Brian Jean is losing the Fort McMurray by-election. But here's where it gets interesting. We asked you to submit your responses. This one from Gil, who says, this is me when Brian Jean resplits the party. And he's got a great gif of Captain America frustrated. Here we go again. How about this from Melanie, who chimes in from Northern Alberta? She says, don't you think the party's split already, Ryan? This will be an interesting vote. And she says Fort McMurray would love to hear your prediction. I think that Brian Jean's going to win the by-election in a landslide. And then I think that he will work to ultimately split that party. Now, how effective he is remains to be seen. The premier will be organizing and fighting and politicking like only Jason Kenney can. So we will expect to see some form of a battle royale. I don't know if Brian Jean has what it takes to outwit or outfight Jason Kenney on this, but if he takes 12 or 15 or 17 MLAs with him, and then all of a sudden the UCP isn't really the United Conservative Party anymore, It's good news for the NDP, maybe even the Alberta party remains to be seen. Carly says the Confederate ideology is already set in motion. So no matter who takes over leadership, nothing will change. Chad says, my guess is that Brian Jean won't last in caucus. Kenny will kick him out and he'll sit as an independent just to keep the NDP from taking the seat. So you'd have an independent Brian Jean, Todd Lowen, Drew Barnes. I mean, Maybe you get Angela Pitt to come over. Maybe you get a couple others. All of a sudden, you've got something more than just a blip on the radar. Elena says, well, I thought Jason Kenney had to approve of his nomination. And that's true, Elena. And Kenny said that he would if Brian Jean won. Of course, he said that before the results. So it remains to be seen. Chrissy wonders, does Brian Jean have a Lollapalooza blue F-150 with a sleeper cab to run his retaliation lap around Alberta? Of course, a clear reference to Jason Kenney's blue ram. Jerry wonders how long it'll take the premier to throw Brian Jean out of the caucus and onto the back benches. I mean, if he's out of the caucus, he's across the aisle, along with the other independents. Jerry says, I don't think it'll be too long. Then he'll be able to attract other MLAs and form a new party. See, I think Kenny's got to be careful with this one in a way. Because if he were to refuse to sign the nomination papers, that automatically will infuriate a whole bunch of his own MLAs, right? If he allows Brian Jean in and then finds a way to kick him out, then that could have the exact same impact. So I think he's got to find a way to sort of, I mean, keep in mind, the premier has not even announced congratulations to Brian Jean for winning the nomination yet, which is pretty unusual. You imagine if Joshua Gogo, who was, that's, that's another great band name, by the way, but it is a real human being. Uh, Joshua Gogo could open for Chaco Chunk at Alberta Palooza 2023. Uh, but Joshua Gogo, had he won, he was the premier's appointed choice. You better believe there would have been congratulations from the premier's office, right? Les wonders, would you vote for your MLA with a grudge agenda or would you vote for somebody to represent you in government? That's a great point from Les. He says Fort McMurray has some serious issues. Is Brian Jean going to address them or is he operating by resentment? How many times has he resigned federally and provincially? The answer is at least two. 
that resonated with you. You, you it blew you back in your chair. What was it? I, I, just the the whole theory of a grudge agenda. That is what put Jason Kenny in office. That is a hundred percent why the UCP is in power. They had a grudge Ooh, wow. with the accidental one-term NDP government. Yeah. That is what put them in it. The grudge agenda is very strong in this province. Well, but it's different if it's, uh, I don't know if it's, it might be oversimplifying, but it's okay. We can agree to disagree on that. I, I, I don't know if it, it's different if it's on behalf of the electorate versus the politician though, right? Like what do you want motivating your elected representative? Why are they in office? I think it's oversimplifying to say that Brian Jean is only doing this because he wants to knock out Jason Kenney. But I think he's like 80% doing it, maybe 75% doing it because he wants to knock out Jason Kenny, and maybe 25% doing it because as a political opportunist, and that's not necessarily an insult. Uh, people use political opportunist as an insult. If you're a politician, you are an opportunist in so many ways as if Connor McDavid or Johnny Goudreau or Austin Matthews see an open net and bury it in the open net, they are opportunists achieving their mandate right mm -hmm. so i think he sees an opening and i think he wants to take it mark said that kenny's only hope of spiking brian jean's insurgency is to delay calling the by-election as long as he legally can well he can't much longer mark two more months that's it and then get his supporters to either not vote or to vote ndp Edwin believes that Brian Jean will join Todd Lowen, Drew Barnes on the other side of the aisle. And Tempest says that Brian Jean will focus his efforts and his political capital on changing the UCP. His success internally and by proxy with Alberta as a whole will depend entirely on factors outside his control, primarily the price of oil and how hard the Omicron wave hits Alberta. We are expecting an announcement today. By the time that a lot of people hear this, Wales, the announcement will have already been made. But essentially, the province of Alberta is, is picking up where other provinces have already gone. And there's going to be an announcement on rapid tests. It looks like it. Yeah, there's an announcement set for 3.30 today, being Tuesday, December 14th. For Alberta, Nova Scotia has already made free rapid test kits available at libraries, which I love. Yeah. So folks can actually, in Nova Scotia, they can go and pick up uh, a kit which has five tests in it. And uh, yeah, there's 400,000 tests available in Nova Scotia. I mean, really, across Canada, Canada, the federal government bought 94 million rapid tests. Okay, so an average of two per person or so, two and a bit per person on average. Not everybody's going to use them. Not everybody's going to need them. A lot of people are going to be staying to themselves or going to be in remote locations or unfortunately won't have access to the tests. Mm -hmm. uh, the understanding, though, is that this is probably, at least in Alberta, going to come with relaxing of, of, of COVID measures, right, of restrictions in time for the holidays. So they're going to relax some of the restrictions, but then they're going to make the rapid tests available, which to me, I know a lot of people are going to bristle mm. at the relaxing of restrictions. I mean, all these people like, yeah, yeah, ER, not nurses and ER doctors and people in the ICU I'm of course laughing so we don't cry uh, we're so lucky to have these folks showing up every single day I know that there's going to be blowback on relaxing measures but I will say it provides some comfort or I hope provides some comfort that if restrictions are being relaxed I hope that people are taking advantage of those rapid tests in order to ensure that they're being and I hate using this sort of like smarmy word but being responsible uh, to prevent that spread we were talking about this a year ago we were almost talking about this two years ago can we do what it takes to finally snuff this thing out 
No. Tomorrow we'll have a full recap on what the rapid test policy is going to look like, what access looks like, what it means for you, and the details we have on restrictions being eased. We're also going to take you into why cell phone prices are so damn high in Canada and what a new proposed deal with Sean Rogers might mean for you in your pocketbook. Plus, hybrid salmon discovered on Vancouver Island. Why? And why does it matter? All of that on tomorrow's Real Talk. We'll see you then. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated, all rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.